All right, welcome back to another episode of Friends from Football, a weekly NFL show within the Friends from Work network hosted by yours truly, Kyle Sconowell, and today, my longtime friend, Grant Gertzma. Let's start off today by kind of just going around the NFL a little bit with some of the top headlines from week six in the NFL. So if you remember from one of our early episodes, Grant is a lifelong Seahawks fan, but also knows Kirk, so also follows the Vikings. Uh, Let's start with the Seahawks game, Grant. The Seahawks lost a nail-biter to the Bengals with, I think you texted me, something like 10 to 20 plays within the Bengals' 10-yard line and couldn't score. The end of that game lasted like 40 minutes of real time trying to get into the end zone. The Seahawks were on the doorstep and couldn't do it. They end up losing to the Bengals, which is something we need to get into in a second. Uh, they lost to the Bengals 17-13. to 13. Your thoughts? My thoughts are depression, quite honestly. But uh, along these lines, okay, so I was very bummed after the Seahawks game that we lost to the Bengals, and we were terrible in the red zone. But I, I saw a stat this week that said that this is the worst red zone TD percentage NFL-wide since pre-2011. And I don't remember exactly what year it was, but teams in general have been terrible in the red zone. Mm. And I have thought about this, and you see the teams like the Dolphins, Chiefs, teams that have these amazing short games in the red zone, scoring just tons of touchdowns but the Seahawks and I think that there's other teams that are experiencing this too when you get down there if you don't have a good quick short game offense with a lot of motion and a lot of movement to like confuse what defenses are doing when once you get compressed like that you have a hard time drawing up a good intermediate route or getting people open that way and the Seahawks definitely struggled with that um they're not utilizing much motion I had another friend who follows the NFL a lot say something similar. He said that these games were happening on Sunday, and he said to me, does it feel like there are more dominant defensive performances than you can remember? Like, there are more defenses winning games this year than in years past. And I started thinking about that, and I was like, yeah, the Bengals kind of won this game on defense. I mean, even the Vikings in the slugfest, awful slog game against the Bears, they got a a fumble recovery for a touchdown and two picks that kind of turned the game. I I don't, the Dolphins are obviously high flying right now, but did you watch like the Bills Giants game? It was like yeah. an absolute nightmare of a slog. I, I'm looking at this right now. Geno Smith had two picks, no touchdowns, QBR of 42 and a rating of 69. But then I was like, wow, so the Bengals must have really controlled this. Burrow had a QBR of 36 and a rating of 88. Yeah, so it was a really weird game. Both teams started out really hot. Touchdowns in the first two drives for both of them. Bengals went right down the field in their second drive and scored a touchdown. And and I was thinking, um, just like previous seasons for the Seahawks when we had a real, like a bottom five defense, it's like, oh, here we go again. Um, we're going to make whatever quarterback we're playing against look like the second coming of freaking Joe Montana, just like we do every time, whether it's Dalton or Daniel Jones or whoever. No, and and so what was shocking is that the Bengals did absolutely nothing for the rest of the game. They scored 14 points in the first two drives, and then did they score again? 17 to 13. Yeah, they scored a a, a field goal. Joe Burrow had 35 pass attempts, 185 yards. 35 attempts. It was this dink and dunk offense against the Seahawks. Um... 38 yards rushing for Mixon. Ouch. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. So I'm in I'm come out encouraged by the Seahawks defense, quite honestly. They looked so much better than they have. Um, I thought previously. their performance against the Giants last week or two weeks ago was like one of the best defensive performances of Carroll's era. That was unbelievable. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I watching it at the time, I was thinking, okay, this Giants offensive line is about the worst I've ever seen. And, still, and they are. They're the worst in the NFL for real. But to get 11 sacks, like you're not going to The Bills against, didn't. Yeah. No, other teams haven't done that to them and they're playing against the same people. So there's elements of it that are going really well. 
I think it's actually a positive step in the right direction in the long run. I was obviously bummed to lose. And this is the nature of the NFL. We come out of this game. Defense plays great. Geno has a, a tough day. And there was a, a poll that came out right afterwards that was like, do you want to bench Geno for Drew oh Locke? Good. Oh, my gosh. And 50% of the Seahawks fan base was down to bench Geno Smith for Drew Locke after this one game against the Bengals when That's unbelievable. the Seahawks offensive line is all backups. Um, they're performing great for what the, the people that they have out there. But this is just like the nature of the NFL. They have one bad game on offense and it's instantly like fire, oh, gosh. fire everybody. It's I love that you said that because Gino's a perfect example where if you're a little bit later of a draft pick or you're like Gino where you didn't start very well and now he's having a resurgence. I think guys like Dak, et cetera, they get, in my opinion, no leash from fans for a bad performance. But when Burrow starts off this poorly, everybody, you turn on ESPN, I watched Stephen A. Smith the other day, go, oh, I'm not worried about Burrow. I'm never worried about, no one's ever worried about Burrow because he had a hot start early on, right? Like, and I think the same thing a little bit with Justin Herbert. Look, I think Justin Herbert is great. I think he's great. He's a top 10 quarterback, no doubt. But people talk about him like he's the second coming, and I feel like he is totally immune to criticism. So when he misses Keenan Allen wide open the other night. He missed two wide open throws. Wide open. Like in the pocket, just no pressure, missed him, and then throws a game-losing pick. I feel like the topic is almost never – it's never it's never Justin Herbert. It's his coach, or like it was Anthony Lynn back in the day. Now it's Staley. It's something else could be wrong. In Bro's case, it's always got a banged up quad or, or calf or whatever that is. I don't know. I just feel like there's certain guys that once you're in the media graces, and Gino isn't isn't that. Like he still has to prove himself. So he can have one bad game after last year what he did, and he comes in this year has one bad game. They're three and two. It's not bad at all. And the poll is fifty percent of fans are ready to go <laughs> yes. to Drew Locke. It's so bad. Um, Crazy, man. No, you're you're spot on about that. And I think the conversation around Herbert is that what I read after the game is that just it's always saying like the Chargers are really bad at just winning football games when it comes into the clutch. They're always close, but the Chargers are bad at winning these games. You know, I agree with that statement. But with a lot of these other quarterbacks, it's you're going to say – Gino's not good at winning games. Kirk's yes. not good at winning games. Correct, hundred percent. Dak's not good at winning games. Who, whoever it is, I love that you're saying that. But it's everybody in the top like tier that. gets 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 the pass, which is um, a bummer because it it always is a team thing. Like Gino and all those plays, like yeah, yeah, he probably could hit, could have hit somebody or gotten rid of the ball or whatever. But he's still getting. I mean, he's getting sacked. Like you'll, dudes you'll, are getting through. There's other keywords like when the media doesn't like you or the they've moved on or the leash isn't very long, they'll always throw in, I notice, the money too that they're getting paid. So when Justin Herbert struggles, nobody says, well, he's the top paid quarterback in the league. He shouldn't be having these struggles. No one says that. It's always the Chargers lost the game. But when it's guys like Kirk or you know Dak, and I don't think Dak's the best thing ever, but if the Cowboys lose, it's, oh, it's Dak and he's getting paid whatever it is. He's getting paid $48 million. He can't play like that. It's always included with them. It's never included with Burrow. It's never included, even yeah. though he has a massive deal. Yeah. I mean, if you just paid Burrow that amount of money, he he doesn't look like he's worth that amount of money right now. And I know he's coming off an injury. But, like, he's got I, top-tier weapons. Um, it's I am so passionate about this that so many of these guys, so much of the talent in the NFL is so close to each other that Burrow is really good. But I also think somebody like, this is going to sound crazy, right? But like Andy Dalton isn't that much worse than Joe Burrow. He is not, I'm not saying I'm an Andy Dalton guy, but I'm saying that like given the circumstances, like is Mahomes amazing? Yes, he's unbelievable. Was Tom Brady amazing? Yes, unbelievable. But did Mahomes also land one of the most innovative offensive geniuses ever? Did he also then get in a system that allows him to play free? Did he also land Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill at the time? Yes, 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 yes. Did Tom Brady perfectly mash up with the greatest defensive coach ever? Yes. But the media and fans want to make it out like, oh no, Burrow's just, he's a legend and everyone else on his team stinks. It's like, well, no, I mean, he's good, but 
if his if his offensive line isn't good or if the play calling's bad, then he's going to look bad like everybody else in the league. If Aaron Rodgers is the most transcendent quarterback ever, if there ever was a quarterback that could just say, I'm going to pick up my entire team regardless of circumstances, it's probably Aaron Rodgers. Mahomes would be up there, right? People would always toss that out. And yet Aaron Rodgers, when he didn't like the play calling, went six and 10 and got Mike McCarthy fired. So why didn't he elevate then? If he's so transcendent, how did they go six and 10? Kirk has never even only won six games ever. Yeah. So if he's so transcendent, my point is the every position, especially quarterback, is so dependent on so many factors, it makes it the single hardest position in all of sports to evaluate who's doing well. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think there's only, I would say you could go five through 15 on the quarterback list, maybe even deeper than that, where it's like, if they switch teams, it might be interchangeable. And I think the only thing that separates these dudes who are in the next tier, and you can see this, I think, with Mahomes. When I watch those games, there's elements of like, Mahomes, I think legitimately, yes, he's part of one of the most innovative offenses but of all I, time. I'm almost to the point where it's him and everyone else, though. I'm almost to the point where the yeah. first tier is just Mahomes is the only one that does that. Yeah, I'm just watching this stuff, like how how he moves in the pocket. Yes. And I would say the same for Josh Josh Allen, potentially, too, where it's like you can get out of, like, yeah. Burrow, Kirk, um, these other quarterbacks that I think are in a Jared similar Goff. tier, Goff, like they... they are so focused on going through their reads and things like that. That is, that's great. That's what you want to do. But you also are going to look a little statuesque in there and get sure. s- and take some sacks that you might not need to take, things like that. But when you watch Mahomes, it's like he is simultaneously looking down the field and avoiding these like pockets of rushers yep. that you're like, man, like how, how are you aware of that many things all, all at once? And he still gets it to the person who's who's open no matter what. And I think that that's the difference. Like you're looking for, and this is why I think people are probably crapping their pants for Caleb Williams, is like he kind of has that vibe of like can avoid these situations where you're going to take sacks and find the person down the field who's open. Um, so here's my pushback. I, I 100% agree on Patrick because I think that he is probably the only quarterback in the NFL that does that stuff without sacrificing the the quick slant or the the first read is open hit him kind of thing even Josh Allen I think he's amazing but he has games like the Giants game against what we thought was like the worst team in the league right one of if 100%. not the worst and I wonder at the expense of extending the play sometimes like vintage Russell Wilson how often is Josh missing let's say, digs on like a 10-yard dig route over the middle because he's trying to extend. Patrick, to me, is like the only guy that will hit those 10-yard dig routes for Travis, but then when it's not open, he can still extend and run. He's like one of the most effective runners, even though he's not that fast, or find somebody downfield. But even then, even then, like against the Vikings, Mahomes had like two or three like arm punts that the Vikings players did not catch, but they were just like, he threw it up there. So he'll still throw them up there. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Well, I just think I just think that he's kind of separate and that I would almost say, maybe Josh Allen you could say, but at this point, I'm not even sure I'd put Herbert in there as three or Burrow. So let's just say Mahomes and Allen, one, two, are not interchangeable. But I would then argue, just like you, like three through 15, like all the way down to like Stafford, Goff, Cousins, Geno Smith, all those guys could flip-flop with, like, the Bengals situation and have a very similar result. Joe Burrow's numbers in that playoff run were good, but they were nothing out of the abnormal. His defense was unbelievable that year. Nothing different. So that's my hot take, I guess. Yeah, and but one thing that <laughs> continues to amaze me is the fact that the Chiefs, while they're doing all this, somehow continue to maintain, like, a good... A good even maybe even better than good defense this whole time. Like when their offense is struggling, they're still holding teams to like 17 points. They were talking about this is the best defense Mahomes ever had. Yeah, like nobody else gets that privilege, which is so crazy to me because it's like at some point I keep thinking like, okay, it's going to catch up with Mahomes that he's getting paid this much money. Like 
they're gonna have to like lose out on one, they're gonna have worse draft picks. Two, they're eventually gonna fall apart on defense. Like this is what happened to Drew Brees in New Orleans. It happened to Aaron Rodgers. Like all these dudes who are getting paid top tier money. And now he has the best defense he's ever yeah, had. Yeah, and it's just like it's as a fan of teams that are not the Chiefs, it's sickening to me to watch these oh, situations. I, it. I know, I, I appreciate it too, but I want my team to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I'm sick of these other teams getting a combination of all-time great offense and all-time great offensive coach and then somehow maintaining a really quality defense throughout the whole thing. Does and I it? just like don't want to watch it anymore. I want somebody new. Doesn't what they're doing feel so much like Golden State? Where it's like, as long as you have Curry, I would say Clay and, and Kerr, you can interchange other pieces and they're kind of just there. And I feel like that's what this feels like. Kind of fun, high-flying, fast-paced, offensive system. But as long as you have like Kelsey, Mahomes, and Reed, it feels like they can just inter... I mean, it's they insane. They do not have a single good receiver on their team. That's what I was going to say. It's insane they lost Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill went on to be one of, if not the best receiver in the NFL. So it's not like he busted when he left. He's still now unbelievable. He might have 2,000 yards this year. He might break the record this and, year. And yet the Chiefs don't seem to miss a beat. Like somehow they're now just going to be in first place again. And they're what? Four and one, five and one again. We talk every week on this podcast and I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but we talk about how the NFL is unlike any other league because only in this league does this kind of stuff happen. And this week, oh my gosh, the storylines to me are how in the world, someone explain this to me. The San Francisco 49ers have averaged over 30 points. Listen to this, five games in a row. They were tying their franchise record. If they had done it, this would have been game number six of 30 points plus every game. They're undefeated. In some ways, they are off to one of the best starts in NFL history at 5-0. They are dominating teams. There is not a single hole in their roster. Christian McCaffrey might be the MVP frontrunner at this point. How in the world does that team play the Cleveland Browns with P.J. Walker and lose that game? That is the game that I almost put my life savings on. <laughs> I saw the line at 5.5. I only put one unit on it. I saw the line at 5.5. And I thought, I need to double down on this. This is, this is ridiculous. And then by the time I went back to go check on it, the line moved to 10, minus 10 for San Francisco. Not only did they not cover, they lost the game. Yeah. I don't know how to explain the NFL. If you, if you were an alien coming from outer space and we were trying to explain who are the good teams and the bad teams, I don't know how to explain that. I don't know how to explain Buffalo absolutely blowing Miami out of the water, 48 to 20. The week after Miami scored 70, and then Buffalo not being able to score a point, a point against the New York Giants. I, I have chills right now because I cannot explain that. It doesn't make any sense. I, I feel like I, I can say with the Browns, they're de they have had a very high quality defense this whole, this whole year. So anytime you have that, I feel like you're going to be able to play in any game with that level of defense. The Browns are giving up 200 yards a game on defense. Think about that for a second. It's like going to set a record. That's yeah. insane. And I mean, against these other teams, I've I've watched most of the Niners games so far this year. Um, as a Seahawks fan, and I I really I thought they were going undefeated this year. They have no weaknesses. And then I still think, even though Brock Purdy has been absolutely amazing, I still think that their weakest part of their team is if you run up against a good defense. I think feel like. Purdy will suddenly look human. And that's what happened against the Browns. Like he was missing throws that I didn't see him make or miss early in the season. I just think the Browns have a really good defense and they made him uncomfortable and were able to switch things up on him. And I'm, as a Seahawks fan, I'm hoping that there was something unlocked within that that will have other teams be able to play the Niners that way. Um, How good must Miles Garrett be? Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's a freak. He's so good. Trent Williams said he's a Hall of Famer already. That was like the headline this week. That is insane. If Trent Williams is saying that about you, like if Trent Williams is getting dominated by you, that's... Yeah. And then the Bills-Giants game. No way to explain that. And then there's, that, one, that doesn't there's one more sense. though, too. There's one other one. The Jets beat the Philadelphia Eagles. The I only other like defeated the, team. The Eagles have been showing some cracks and they haven't been blowing anybody out. 
like their games have been close yep. all year. The Vikings had them. <sighs> yeah, and and here's the thing: if you look at those like DVOA um, numbers, things like that, the Eagles actually look like they're kind of like middle of the pack. Actually, incredibly close to what the Vikings are. So you have these one team that's five and one, one team with historically bad luck that's playing pretty similar point. offense, pretty similar defense so far this year, and one team has two wins, one team has five. It's just like. Well, also, maybe they'll take a step back. That was in my preseason uh, predictions that the Eagles would be one of the teams that would, the Cowboys and Eagles would be battling it out, less, less the Eagles running away with it. Well, wasn't there like a big thing about the Eagles coordinator leaving? I think offensive coordinator leaving yep. was something that people really felt like could Both. hurt them. And it, 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 does seem, it does seem that way. Yeah, they it's don't Shane Steichen, and he went to Indy, and Indy actually looks pretty legit yeah. for, for what they have. Yeah. I think Shane Seiken might, might actually know what he's doing. Is what it And out. Richardson, before he got injured, he was making some throws that you're like, oh, sheesh. And now Hurts has seven TDs and seven picks I saw. Seven picks already. So Hurts, without Steichen, not the same player. That leads me to my last point on the NFL stuff. The Lions might actually be legitimately good. The Lions so far look like one of these teams that, like the 49ers, don't have a ton of holes. All of a sudden, their defenses come around. Their pass rush is getting home, and we already have talked about this, but their offensive creativity, the way Jared Goff plays, and how good their offensive line is, I don't know that they have a lot of holes. So I'm willing to say now that they're maybe the third best team in the NFC, maybe they're better than the Eagles. We're going to find out. Yeah. Which is weird because their only loss is the Seahawks game. Yeah, that's nothing makes any sense. <sighs> Goff is up there right now. I know that their offense is like... Yep. They've got a good coordinator and good stuff, but Goff is just continues to play really well. He gets a he's a number one pick. I think that Super Bowl against the Patriots when they scored three points is always going to be something where people are like, "Up, oh, he's just not the dude. They can't win the Super Bowl with him." But I I absolutely think that he's good enough to do it. He's I think good. there's a number of quarterbacks that are good enough to win a Super Bowl, um, and but I he's, think he's in that same tier with like he's good with with Kirk and Burrow and all these. Dudes who maybe are more Stafford. statuesque in the pocket, but they they know how to read the defense, and he seems like he totally knows how to do that. He is the poster child for the entire conversation we just had 10 minutes ago of quarterbacks are dependent on all of their circumstances because people need to remember this. He was a first-round pick, early first-round pick. First overall? Second overall. First second. overall. And then went second? It was, I think, Winst Winston second. No. Yeah, no, no, no. Winston Mariota. That was one year. Okay. Winston yeah. Mariota. Sorry. And then Wentz and Goff in the same year. Uh, whatever the order was, though, keep this in mind. He got drafted to the Rams with Jeff Fisher, and they had one of the worst offenses in the history of the NFL in terms of yards, points per game ever. Go look it up, including Goff. I think they did that for like a year and a half. All they did was let go of Jeff Fisher, and they brought in Sean McVay. Then Goff had two of the best seasons he had had in his career with basically the exact same personnel, but a totally different coach. Then I think everybody kind of thought, oh, poor Jared, he got shipped to Detroit, right? Wasn't that the vibe? It yeah, was like he got sure. screwed. He went to a Super Bowl, didn't win, and he gets shipped out. And yes, the Rams won the Super Bowl. But now it looks like he's playing the best football of his career. Yeah. And this is the same guy who basically got shipped out because of how bad he was with Jeff Fisher. This is something that Ben Ben Baldwin has been like harping on on, on Twitter for ages. Um, is he keeps track af after every week posts a thing of like where Stafford is on his years with the Rams and where Goff is with, on his years with the Rams and like what their offensive DVOA is, what they're like expected points added and stuff like that. And it's like Jared Goff and Matt Stafford are always in the exact same spot. So mm. it's like completely interchangeable quarterbacks and you just shipped one off and paid the other one a ton of money when really they're essentially the same the same player. I think it really is just like what happened in that game was enough for McVay to probably be like, all right, let's just try somebody else. They got that one Super Bowl, so it makes it all worth it. Yeah, it does. If they hadn't got that Super Bowl, I think yes. that would be huge. That would have been a huge mistake. But if you win a Super they Bowl, got, it's all worth it. It's one of those rare trades, like the Jefferson Diggs thing, where maybe both sides won. Detroit's stoked about what happened, and now they may extend golf after all this. I would, by the way, I would. Although I do want to see what Detroit is without Ben Johnson, because we saw that two years ago. I'm not sure it was the best thing ever, and I'm 
pretty sure Ben Johnson's going to be the number one candidate for a head coaching job, so he'll take one this year. Then who does he want at quarterback? That's fascinating. Uh, yeah. And what does Jared Goff look like when he is not there? Okay, let's get into the Minnesota Vikings versus Chicago Bears game. So I know I sound like a broken record. Grant, if you've been listening to this podcast, you probably think I'm going to sound like a broken record. I still don't know very much about this Minnesota Vikings team. I still could view this entire season glass half full, glass half empty. In some ways, the weirdest thing for me is the two most discouraging games where our offense was the worst is our two wins. Yeah. This game was an absolute slog. If you're a really good team, you just put this team away. I mean, it's 19 to six at one point. Go go down, score a touchdown, go for two, 27 to six. Then we're like, oh, what an easy day. Instead, we went into Mike Zimmer mode, which is like run, run, pass, nothing creative, dropped passes, and their backup rookie quarterback goes down, scores a touchdown, and somehow it's 19 to 13 with us needing to get a first down. Otherwise, they're going to have the ball back. And they got the ball back. We got an interception, luckily. But I just sat there thinking like, why do we even have to play this down to the wire? Why why does it have to be like this against any team? Now, again, the glass half full says it's hard to win in the NFL. We just named all the teams that got upset. So I'm not ever going to complain about any win. This Bears team scored 40 points last week, 40 yeah. points last week. So you can't just do the transferative property, right? So I can't be mad about a win, but it just sometimes looks so hard for us. And I was extra discouraged because I thought, I said in this podcast last week, that now that Justin's out, I think Justin's an unbelievable player, but I'm hopeful that it's going to force our coaching staff to go back to what it was like when you don't have Justin, be super creative, come up with tight end screens and fake end arounds, a dump off to the tight end in the end zone or running back screens or a jet sweep. Like you're going to be forced into getting everyone involved. And that was the most discouraging part to me is I felt like this was actually the opposite. This was the most bland game plan we had. So the question is, do our coaches not have it in them? That's option one. Or they just got a sense early on that Chicago's not going to score and we can win this game in a really boring way without doing a whole lot and we're going to win it. And the way Kirk was throwing it, they were like second highest grade quarterback of the week. Uh, maybe they were just looking at going like, hey, we're not going to make enough mistakes. Like we're going to win this game that way. That's the glass half full. Glass half empty, maybe the coaching staff doesn't have it in them. So if I had to rank my concerns, I'd say coaching staff, can't adjust without Justin, and that scares me for the future, especially with the 49ers on this horizon. Wide receiver drops and fumbles is legit becoming a problem. It's not like it's a fluke anymore. Kirk leads the league in drops, drop passes. I think there was another three or four or five more in this game. A second and 19 to TJ again. That's a tough catch, but you have to have a 20-yard gain if you're going to be a top pay tight end. Jordan Addison, a go ball that was a dime dropped for like a 35-yard gain on the left sideline. Yes, these guys are young. Yes, they're learning. But at some point, the drops are going to come back to haunt you slash they are just a problem. So my my two concerns there are now coaching staff's inability to change the scheme and we just dropped too many passes. Yeah, and what's especially disappointing about it too is that I actually think the Vikings offensive line has been playing pretty well. And you finally get this happening and then it coincides somehow with your skill position players just sucking on a regular basis. Are like they everybody. bad or are they just losing focus? I don't think they're bad. I think they're just losing focus or it's coaching or something. I, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I think it's pretty clear at this point that Madison is not a running back. A one. franchise running back. He's not a franchise running back. We have a huge issue at running back. We don't have a serviceable running back. Yeah, and that's disappointing because I would never, I would never say that about any team to start the season ever. I would always be the person that's like, just grab some undrafted free agent. We and don't, play we him. don't break tackles. We don't pass protect that well from the running back position. And then if you're going to drop passes as well, that's tough. Yeah, Madison has had crucial, crucial errors. If you just ran straight for three yards every play great in comparison to what he's doing, which is like game-breaking errors. Fumbles or drops. Fumbles or, or drops. This they game, would have won a game the previous week if he had caught that This that game, pass. it's 19 to 13, and I'm like, okay, let's get one drive, put it away. Game over. We call a run on first down. We gain seven. Second and three, and we call a pass, and Kirk just checks down to Madison at the first down line to just move the chains, and he dropped it. 
And then on third and four, we didn't convert. So we had to punt it. And it's like, dude, we're just checking down. Please catch it and get the first down. We're trying to kill clock. Yeah. I mean, I know that he knows the offense more, but at this point, if I'm the Vikings, you got to at least start giving Cam Akers more playing time, more looks, things like that. To me, he has these moments where he looks more explosive running the ball. I would have never thought that before he came. When I watched him on the Rams, I'm like, this guy does does not have it. He's not. He doesn't look great. Here's what's going to happen, I think. The Vikings have a running back named Kenny Wongwu, who was a kick returner last year. He's only in his third season. He was always in battle for right behind Dalvin as the running back, too. Uh, he had a kick return for a touchdown last year in a really key moment against the Patriots. Uh, but he's been hurt, and he's been on the IR. He is their most explosive running back to create actual explosive plays from that position, but he's been injured. Uh, he is now off the injury reserve. So I think what's going to end up happening is you're going to start seeing those those carries from Madison go from 70-30 to 50-50, right? And then if Ken A can break some off, I think the Vikings as an organization are holding out hope that he's the guy. I don't yeah. know if he is. I haven't seen enough, but that's what I think behind the scenes is happening. I would love that if he could be the dude and <laughs> just too. somebody who can catch the freaking ball out of the backfield and potentially stop a pass rusher coming through. To your previous point, it is so wild that to my eye test, it doesn't look like we have like a super dominant offensive line that's just moving people off the ball a la the Cowboys three years ago. It doesn't feel like that. But everywhere you look, they are grading extraordinarily high. Did you know that right now on PFF, the highest graded left tackle is Christian Derisaw? And did you know that on PFF, I'm going to blow your mind, the highest graded right tackle is Brian O'Neill? Yeah. PFF is grading our tackles as the best tackles in the NFL, both of them. That's not surprising. The problem has always been. Garrett was the number one center this last week. So Garrett's been hurt. Now he's back. I, I don't know, dude. To my eye, the offensive line is far from a problem. Yeah, like they this look last a lot game, better this year. The only pressure that happened on Kirk was actually a missed tight end block. You saw that on the replay. I don't know. So you're, you're right. All of a sudden now we have like a pretty good to above average offensive line and our skill players are now dropping balls. Again, that's another game though that I think like you can take some serious positives out of what what the defense did. Um, that's the glass is, half full. They are is, so much better. Yeah, oh my they're gosh. so much better than last year. Um, if you could have given us Brian Flores last year on last year's team. Oh, they would have won the Super Bowl potentially. The Minnesota Vikings are limiting explosive plays on defense at the best rate in the NFL. They have the number one defense at limiting explosive plays. While blitzing more than anybody else, which is While blitzing. Crazy. I have chills. At the beginning of the year in our preview episode that you were a part of, I said it's going to be so much more fun to watch, but they're going to get beat on miscommunications. It's never happening. Think about the games. It's never happening. Yeah, I, I hardly even think about it because I'm every time the defense gets on the field, I'm so bummed about whatever happened on the previous drive with someone dropping it or fumbling it. I also just love that... Brian Flores, like, I love this so much. Brian Flores blitz at the highest rate in the NFL. So, so many people saw that and said, this is an example. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL against the blitz. So, before the Chiefs game, everybody said, oh, he could put up 50 on the Vikings defense because they blitz all the time. But what people are forgetting is that Brian is smart and changes his game. That's what's so refreshing. So, the one week they only blitz like 17% of the time was against the Chiefs. Last week against Justin Fields, they blitzed 71% of the plays, five guys or more. And look what happened. He couldn't move the ball yeah, one time. He looked, he looked bad. Because it's like Brian is smart enough to know Justin is going to get really messed up by this blitz. Patrick is not. So it's not just like on paper, like, like PFF will say, like, oh, they're going to shred him. They guess what? We had the Chiefs right there. We play the Chiefs as good as anybody did on defense. It's crazy. I'm so excited. Yeah, about, that's the glass half full. It the is defense exciting. is way better. It is. It's very exciting. If If I'm a Vikings fan... And I am. What I watched last year is <laughs> yes. the bottom of the bottom of the barrel of anything I've ever had to watch on a weekly basis in my life. It was so bad. And maddening. It was not just bad. It was so maddening. And how can you be an NFL defensive coordinator calling the plays and not adjust what you're doing when you're watching the results. So this, to have this happen where we're having a changing game plan week to week is so is so refreshing. Um, if you lack talent and or speed, why wouldn't you want to play like this? 
So like nobody on the Vikings defense is like an unbelievable name. Daniil is leading the league in sacks. He's very, 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 very good. I still wouldn't put him on like the Chris Jones, Nick Bosa, TJ Watt level. I don't know that I'd still put him there. And Harrison Smith is maybe a Hall of Famer, but he's definitely on the back end of his career. But when you don't have talent, why wouldn't you want to play like this? Yeah. Just send seven guys and see if the quarterback makes a mistake. It's so much better to me. So glass half full to me says the defense is massively improved. They're limiting explosive plays at the lowest level. I think the offense can only improve. I don't think they're going to get worse from here. I think they have to keep adjusting as long as they stay healthy. And then right now the Vikings are analytically the unluckiest team in the NFL by far. I sent you a chart. The second worst team in terms of luck is minus 88%. The Vikings at the worst is minus 133%. So 50% worse in luck in a large part due to the fact that TJ Hawkinson dropped the game-winning touchdown against the Chargers, which actually turned into a pick. So in one play, it went from a win to a loss. So that's probably part of it. But the glass half full says... Do those breaks, like if you were gambling in Vegas, do those breaks, the dice start finally rolling your way eventually. And I think you're starting to see a little bit of that. Like a fumble this week went for a touchdown for the defense. A couple picks actually we caught and held on to, although Murphy fumbled on the return and got it back. Oh my gosh. Oh, did you almost like lose your mind I when did. he fumbled that? I saw the guy coming from down. behind and I was like, no, So that's why I don't know. I grant, I have no idea. I could see the Vikings losing to the 49ers but being competitive. And then with the stretch of games they have, I've said this on the podcast a lot, I could see them going five and two. And, and like, hey, nine wins in the NFC probably gets you a wild card. Okay, spot, so sure. I could see you going five and two and you're seven and seven to, towards the end of the season. And it comes down to the last three games. I could see that. I, I, think, I think they have the caliber of players to potentially go on a streak. I mean, who and, knows if it's going to happen, but I'm saying I think that they have a team that they could go on a win streak get some confidence going and roll into wild card time with like some momentum, potentially win a playoff game. I don't know if you're going to beat the Niners. No. But. The exact inverse of last year. Yeah. You could you could do it, I think. They did feel like last year, I think, going into that game, like I felt like we'd probably beat the Giants, but it didn't. That was the least confidence I've had in a 13 and Oh, for a team, I think, ever. Because we watched all those games. It's like anybody, we could lose to anybody, we could beat anybody. Anything could happen. That's and what's it, funny that's is how it was. this year, you brought up DVOA. They're actually slightly better in DVOA this year than they were last year. And they're two and four versus 13 and four. Crazy. But this year in DVOA, they're 12th in offense right now. And I think 15th on defense. So you should be at least three and three or four and three somewhere around there. Instead, it could be two and five. That's what's hey, the luck a couple, factor. A couple Vikings plays go differently and they're five and one. I, th- that's what I've been trying to tell people is like all the other one and five teams or two and four teams are getting blown out. They're getting massacred. Every one of our games, Tampa, we threw a pick at the end of a half into the end zone on a contested ball that didn't go your way. You lost by three. Philly, you literally had Philly beat, but Justin dove for the end zone and threw the ball at the back of the end zone. And so Philly, because that dumb rule, gets a... The Chiefs, you were down seven. You threw to the end zone, fourth and 11. The ref threw a flag to have first and goal on the one. And they pulled the flag back, right? In every category in the Chiefs game, they were statistically exactly the same, both teams. Even the quarterback play, to my eye, looked exactly the same. And the Chiefs have a very good defense. You would have been the first team in the NFL to score 27 on the Chiefs. So, it, But again, they're losing those games. That's why I say the weird thing is those three games are more encouraging to me. The Chargers game is more encouraging to me than the wins against Carolina and Chicago. Yeah, 100% agree. We have a better point differential this year right now than we did last year. Yeah, that's crazy. Does it make sense? So I still, my point is I could still see it going two ways. I could see them losing to the 49ers and then losing to the Packers and they're two and six and this is just who they are and they sell some pieces. That's still a possibility. And then I also think it's a possibility that they get on a roll and it's totally the opposite. We look back at this point of the year and we're like, that was funny when we were struggling, wasn't it? Because we won six in a row. That's what's crazy. So Yeah, well, think about this too along these same lines. Think about how close the Vikings are and how well they've played at certain points and how they are right there, I think, with some of the top teams in certain categories. But if they lose that Panthers game, if the Panthers score a touchdown instead of a fumble recovery return for a touchdown and the Vikings lose that game, they're blowing up the whole thing. Like, Yeah, that's how close it can be. That's how close it is between like you're 
good enough to potentially win a Super Bowl, and you're literally sellers at the trade deadline. You're going to blow up the whole thing and do a full rebuild off of like a couple plays go differently. The irony is Kirk would tell you behind the scenes that that exact same thing happened the prior year, 2021, where he had 33 touchdowns to seven picks, but they all those plays didn't go their way. Remember that? They lost like the weirdest stuff. And because of that, I think they went eight and nine or eight and eight. I'd have to look. Seven and nine. Was that before there were 17 games? Man, I'd have to look. But whatever, he has the best season of his life, and yet everyone gets fired. Zimmer's fired, Spielman's fired, and almost the exact inverse happened the following year. They bring a new culture. It's the same skill team. Like, they don't do much better, but all the breaks go their way. They're 13 and four. Now it's the same team again, essentially, and they're two and four. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. It really is wild. And that's, I think that, like, if you're not getting blown out of games, if I'm the Giants, I'm firing the coach at the end of the year. Like, they look that they don't care anymore. There's a couple teams always every year where you're like, it's obvious this team has given up. I'm honestly firing Sean Payton at the end of this year. If I'm the Broncos. They're not going to do that. They're going to get rid of Russ, and they'll give Sean another year, and then they'll do it. But, it, I mean, we've watched this. Russ isn't great, but Russ is not the problem on that team right now. Their I'm, defense is historically bad. I'm with you. Mostly the eye test tells you. Like, to me, I watch the game, and I don't I don't watch the Vikings and go, you should blow this up. I watch the Patriots, and I think, you are years away from competing. There is nothing good here. I watch the Giants, and I think, what would I do? They don't have skill position players. They're worried about their quarterback. They don't have an offensive line. Their defense is below average. What would you do? That So I'm with you. That's my thing. It's like the eye test is like, I don't feel that way about the Vikings. I look at it and I go, TJ could improve. Jordan looks like a good pick. Their offensive line's really balling. Kirk leads the league in touchdowns. Justin Jefferson's one of the best receivers in the NFL, and their defense is massively improved, but they're losing. So I, I don't know. I don't look at it and go, oh, start over. I look at some of these situations. Like, I'm nervous that, like, Justin Fields can't play. If I'm Chicago, I'm terrified that we have to start entirely over. I don't know if we have the coach right. I don't know if we have the GM right. I don't know if we have the quarterback right. Yeah, it, and that's crazy because th- this is why I was worried about that Vikings game coming in is that, like— it looked like the the week before. It looked like the Bears had turned a corner. Where I, I mean, I know Washington's defense is no pushover, well, and uh, and they uh, held on against Denver, right? No, they, only they lost, but they they yes, lit it, it up in the first half. Yep. So the Bears have it in them, but that's why I was very encouraged by the Vikings' performance on defense because I was like, this could be one of those games where it's like you Field think they're going up against a bad team, but they just came off a huge win with a lot of points, and their offense looked great. And the Vikings were able to shut it down, which is massively encouraging. We'll but see. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're you're getting fired if you're the Giants coach. I think you're getting fired. I would fire Sean Payton. I would fire who else? Matty Rufus in, in Chicago. I'd probably fire. Yeah. I'm not firing Arizona's coach because I feel like they've actually outperformed their talent for the most part. Yeah. They don't have anything going on there. Um, what do you do with Kyler Murray? That's fascinating. I, by the way, if I'm them, I know what I do. I, I try to trade him and I take Caleb Williams at one overall if possible or or Drake May or whatever. I mean, I think that's actually what they were planning on doing and then they were better than they thought. Yeah. I, by the way, and I think that too, but I just looked. I think there's still one in five. Yeah, they don't, they, have still, a, they don't have a good record, but they're playing teams close. Correct. You correct. beat the Cowboys and they actually played pretty close to the 49ers. No, no, no. I'm a huge believer in, in how they're doing it. I'm not ripping them. I'm just saying they still might end with the first overall pick, even though that's not what they were trying that's to do. That's actually best case scenario if you're a, if you're a Cardinals fan. It's like, yes. hey, we're playing these games close, yes. but we're still losing and we're going to be in contention to get our, our dude. Right. And you're somewhat building hope for the future by being competitive. And like you're building a culture still, if you're still hanging around, but yet still losing and getting those games. Okay. Let's finish today's episode with my five best bets. All right, Grant, I want to do a special thing here because I found four games that I loved and I already bet. So I'm going to explain those to people, but I want you to pick the last game for me because I can't find a fifth one that I love. Okay. So you got to pick the last one after you listen to what I say here. It can't be these four. Okay. And by the way, I went three and two last week, which brings me just over 500 still. So I'm just hanging in there against the spread, which is not bad. You're asking the wrong dude, because we play the pick 'em 
game together, and I am almost below 500 in NFL pick this year. All right, so here's my five best bets. Number one, Jacksonville Jaguars plus three against the New Orleans Saints. I think I still haven't fully bought into what the Saints are doing. I still think their head coach is a little bit of a dinosaur, old school thinker that I just can't get bought in on. Derek Carr is the poster child for a pretty good quarterback that will throw 40 times and have 165 yards. It's so strange. But they will have games like what they did to the Patriots where they win 32 to zero or whatever. So it's possible it's in them. I think their defense is actually really good. I just don't fully buy into the entire aura of the Saints. And I think Jacksonville, conversely, is figuring it out after a little bit of a slow start. So the fact that I get three points there, I kind of like that. Thoughts? Jacksonville plus three against the Saints? Yeah, Jacksonville, I think, is better than their... I know they're four and two. But if you look at those DVOA numbers, like they are top 10 in offense, defense, and special teams. They're like one of three teams that are in that realm. I agree, and I 100% think that the Saints are worse than what their their record is. So I'm, I'm on it. Game number two is a controversial one. I'm riding the Detroit Lions bandwagon. Detroit plus three against the Baltimore Ravens. This one could go either way for me. I do think that Baltimore is a top echelon team, but they've had some weird games too. Baltimore has not been dominant, whereas I feel pretty freaking good about what Detroit's doing. However, I don't think Detroit is going 16 and one, so they're going to stub their toe a couple of times, and I don't know where. It could be here. Some people in the media have picked Baltimore in this game. I'm gonna ride that Detroit still doesn't slow down yet, that people haven't figured them out and take them plus three against the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I haven't watched a single Ravens game this year, so. I don't know a lot about what's going on with their team. Okay. Game number three, another controversial one. I'm taking all underdogs. Miami Dolphins plus two and a half against the Philadelphia Eagles. To me, going back to our conversation from a few minutes ago, it's a little bit mind-blowing to me that Miami would get points in almost any game. They are not going to struggle to score. I just don't know that Philly actually can, in this current iteration, keep up with the Dolphins. Feels like they shouldn't be getting points there, but maybe I'm wrong in this one. No, I I agree. I think that that line is probably the way it is because the Eagles are at home. Um, Otherwise, I think it'd be a clear Dolphins favorite there with how the Eagles have been playing. Game number four, and then you'll have to pick one for me. I'm doing this because I did this successfully with the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm emotionally hedging my bets by taking San Francisco 49ers minus six and a half on Monday night against the Minnesota Vikings. I did this last time. It's the win-win. If the Vikings pull the upset, I will not give one crap about this game and losing this bet if the Vikings pull the win. That is way more important to me. However, I'm kind of hedging my bets that if the Vikings are going to lose anyways and fall to two and five, then I might as well get this bet right, is my hope. (laughs) I've actually bet against the Seahawks multiple times this season for purely that effect where it's like, hey, I'm going to be elated if they win this game, but I'm still going to pick against them. Hey, I, I think... I think that Flores is going to watch a lot of film from that Browns game and hopefully pull in some some elements and potentially make pretty uncomfortable like the like the Browns did. So anything can happen, right? Anything can happen every week. But if I had to look at the entire Vikings schedule on paper, this is the hardest game to win of the entire season, in my opinion, over Kansas City, over Philadelphia. I just think going on Monday night, messing up your routine – against a team that's actually now coming off a loss and ticked off about that. Combined with the matchup is not great for us with how good they are at pass rushing and how much we struggle at the on the interior offensive line. And if there was one flaw in our game, it's teams that can push us around on the defensive line and run the ball down our throats like they did two years ago in the playoffs, 17 times in a row or whatever. Uh, those are bad matchups for us. And then if you combine that with a quarterback that doesn't make a lot of mistakes... Again, the Monday night primetime thing, which historically the Vikings have not shown up for, like have not been ready to play. I just think San Francisco wins this game. However, it's not impossible. Like you said, they just lost to the Browns. I think there's a chance what you just said, that Flores does some really weird stuff that maybe actually confuses Purdy, that Purdy doesn't read it out correctly, makes a couple mistakes. You never know. And maybe our offensive line Uh, is finally gelling enough that we actually have some momentum and maybe we were saving some of our creativity for this game. I'm not saying it's impossible. I still think San Francisco wins the game. 
if, if the Vikings win, it's going to be a stunner, in my opinion. And like I said, I won't give a crap about this bet if they win. So, Agreed. I mean, I 100% agree with all of that you said. I feel like if I'm the 49ers going into this game, even though the Vikings have a pretty good run defense so far this year, I would just be pounding it down the, the middle of the whole game and just see what happens. I think what Flores does is it does guarantee that the game is going to be close. And that's why I don't want to waste this season because you know what's going to happen, right? Flores is going to take a head coaching job next year. This is the only year you have him. This is it. Either way, what I think he does for you in games like this is I don't think the blowouts, like the 40-3 to loss of the Cowboys last year, even in a 13-win season, are as possible. Like our, our floor has been raised to where like if we lose this game, I'm not predicting the Vikings are going to get run off the field. Like I'm not thinking it's going to be 34 to 7. So I think it's like 27 to 17 or something like that. Yeah. Okay, pick the last game. Whatever you pick, I'll place the bet for my best bets. I can't find another one. Did you look I at mean, it? I think it's Seahawks, Cardinals, quite honestly. Seahawks are minus eight. I think the Cardinals will keep this closer than what that line is. Really? Absolutely. Okay. You're I, right. Why are you explaining it? I'm going to place the bet. I watch all of these games every season, and the Seahawks have beaten the Cardinals by more than one score like two times it feels like in the past 10 years. It is always close. The Cardinals are better than what their record is. And I really think the Cardinals are gonna keep it close. I think the Seahawks win, but I would absolutely think it'd be within one score. Yeah, I mean, it's seven and a half right now, so it could even be, it could be 27 to 20 or 24, yeah. 17. And you'd still feel pretty happy about the win, but they covered. Yeah, I'm scared of this game as a Seahawks fan. I really think that it's like one of those games that the Cardinals are just better than what what it says that they are on their record. So okay, well I just placed my bet, so that one's on you now. The fifth yep, bet. I'll 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 accept it, and I'll still be happy if the Seahawks win by more than eight points. Uh, I will be ecstatic. All right. Thank you so much to everyone out there who made this podcast a part of your day. I appreciate it so much. Grant, thank you for joining me. I love you being on the show. We can do this multiple times throughout the year, which is so much fun. And please, if you're out there listening, tell your friends about this podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week right back here on Friends from Football.